Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep. Never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and in this podcast, we take a deep dive into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in 2020. And this episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Now, we all want to make sure that we can maximize everything we're doing, not only in life, but also in running. And part of that is controlling the controllables. And for many people, that includes diet and supplementation. So with that, you know, that's one of those problems, right? Some, a lot of people can be unsure uh, what supplements to take or when to take them, what food to take them with, so on and so forth. In fact, 50% of female runners are low on iron. Are you one of those people? Well, go to InsideTracker.com and you can find out. Also, if you use code RAMBLINGRUNNER, you can save 15% on your purchase. Now, in this episode, this is the first episode we're going to do where we're touching base with all the runners we've been following all year as they get ready for the trials. It is here just a few short weeks away, and I couldn't wait to talk to Roberta Groner and just figure out exactly what she's got going on and what she's excited about and what she's hoping for at the trials. So... Here's my conversation with Roberta. Roberta, it's here. We're in February. We are a couple weeks away. Thank you for joining me on the show. I am so excited to chat. Well, thank you very much for having me. I can't believe it's, yeah, almost three weeks away. So Three weeks away. So this will air next week. So we're recording this on February 4th, I should tell everybody. So you'll probably be hearing this on February 10th or 13th or so. But with all of that said, last time we spoke, it was in December, early December-ish, and I know you were excited for a little, little rest time. If I don't, if, yes, I, if I can recall correctly, you're gonna have a little vacation or some some rest time and some downtime before you got back into it. How did that go? It went very well. I took off uh, basically the whole month of November after New York. I didn't run for two weeks, and I took off another two weeks of no workout. So it was about four weeks of no serious running. Um, went away, went to Joshua Tree. So yeah, took some downtime, and then kind of came back and got right into it at early December. So back into the marathon training. And we'll talk plenty of running, but I got I got to ask though, how did you choose your vacation? Why Joshua Tree? I don't know. I, I think we never, I've never been there. I was planning a, uh, it was kind of like a surprise trip and I planned it and I must've Googled something like alternative Thanksgiving getaways and it popped up and I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. I've never been there. So, um, and I'm very active and like the hike and rock climb and well, I, I went rock climbing and hiking and running in the desert. So it was, it was amazing five days away. So we had a very good time. Oh, okay. So it was one of those like active vacation types. Not like sitting on the beach vacation types. I'm definitely an active person. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like to sit on the beach, but not for a whole five days. I would definitely want to be doing something else. I don't know how to stop moving. <laughs> <laughs> that, I think I think that has certainly borne out over time. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, we can, we can actually bring this up now because um, speaking of, you know, can't stop moving. This came out today. You might have already known this, but I just want to announce it if someone hasn't already heard. You were... Um, one of the award recipients for the RC, RRCA awards, and this is you know one of the one of the pre, kind of primary run coaching groups in the country. And what an august group that you joined! And they have a lot of awards. I'll just kind of give out the the Roadrunner of the Year Open Male was Leonard Career, uh, Roadrunner of the Year Open Female Sarah Hall, uh, Masters Male Bernard Lagat, 
Masters female, Roberta Groner. What a group. Yeah, I know. I'm very honored. <laughs> very honored. That no, was very exciting. I did. I may have known a couple days ago, but you know. Um, they announced it today, right? Yes. So it's been a big week for me because I, I don't know if you also know, I, speaking of moving, I, I bought a townhouse. So I'm moving in the process of moving too. So, <laughs> so I'm a busy woman. <laughs> so this is so exciting. So like, first of all, obviously, you know, awards are great, but I, you know, it's not something that's not like a tangible thing. A new house, on the other hand, is very tangible. So that's an exciting thing. So is that so what's that process like? Because obviously, as we've detailed many times on this show, part of the reason so many people connect with you is that you live a life similar to a lot of the listeners and a lot of everyday runners. And here you are having this brand new thing come upon you at a time where obviously you're very focused on some, you know, some running goals and maybe even some professional goals as well. So what's it like, you know, balancing all of these things all at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it was a little unexpected, honestly. Um, I literally, I literally bought my neighbor's townhouse, so I'm renting the townhouse behind them, and I bought their townhouse. So it wasn't really expected; it just kind of happened, and I loved it, fell in love with it, and I can't let you know. I mean, I love to run too, so I just was like, "Let's go with it." And then they said, "Let's close beginning of February." I'm like, "All right, beginning of February gives me three weeks to move in." So, um, and it, it's something for me and my children, obviously. Uh, owning a home. And I was very blessed this past year with running. And a lot of it had to do with running and how I did so well. And the hard work um, led me to have some extra money to put down on a home. So um, like I said, just very blessed this past year. Um, and, and, you know, obviously, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it, too. But uh, I couldn't pass the opportunity. So I bet I, the one good thing about moving right next door is First of all, I have the whole, I have like two places right now for like a whole month. So it's not a lot of stress. <laughs> That's good. Cause usually moving is like the epitome of stressful situations. I mean, I couldn't want, ask for anything easier than literally just moving right next door. And I, like I said, I'm renting my rental for another month and then also moving in at the same time. So it's, I'm making it as stress-free as possible with the trials coming up. And the goal is to be completely moved in before we go to Atlanta. So Got it. See, I love it because this, this you can you can escape from your kids now. You like you guys stay here. I'm going over <laughs> exactly. there. I need some quiet time and so on and so forth. All right. So, um, let's talk about when you dove back into training. You had you know kind of a four week break there. You know, and and, and then obviously you're you're still active, but certainly a break nonetheless. And then you've also you know run a couple. You you ran uh, I think it's a half marathon. Um, you know, kind of focused in some of the in uh, Central Park, and and that went well. So let's just talk about how training has picked up for you in December and into early January. What were some of the things that you focused on as you got back into it, and what were some of the things that you tried to not only in terms of recapturing fitness, but looking forward towards Atlanta and maybe some of the challenges that that course presents and how you were going to put that into your training plan, if at all? Well, I will say it started off kind of rocky um, in the sense of just like, I don't know if it was the, you know, the whole buildup between Worlds and New York and then taking some time off, but December was a tough month for me. It was probably the first time in a long time that I can remember not having that drive that I always have when it comes to training. So, um, it was a struggle. I, I can honestly tell you it hasn't clicked for me until like the last two weeks where things are starting to come together, but it's good because that means it's coming together at the right time, hopefully. 
Um, but no, it was uh, like the early stages was just kind of getting the mileage back up. You know, we started in the 70s and within like two, three weeks, I was back up into the 90s. But um, with Steve, it's just, you know, slowly building. It's like uh, we did some hill repeats, a lot of hill repeat workouts towards the beginning um, and then focusing on getting that tempo pace up um, during the long runs. So I can't really remember specifically the workouts in December, but January has been more focusing on marathon pace and faster type of workouts and building, like getting my mileage up to like 105 miles a week. So, so when you were in the kind of the doldrums of December, was it more of like a mental challenge or was it manifesting itself in terms of how you were performing out on your runs? I think it was mental for the most part, but then I think my mental was playing into the physical, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like I was just, I mean, I was having a tough time at times, like, like crying, like I'll be honest with you. I mean, we all go through these moments in our life. Maybe it's not necessarily running, but it just was um, alarming to me in the sense that I've never felt that way with running before. Um, But like I said, I think it was mainly mental and then my mental would kick into the physical part and I said, oh, I can't do that workout. It's too hard or, you know, I have to stop early or whatever it may have been. But this only lasted maybe two weeks or so. But I got out the door every day. Um, I still showed up. And that was the key, you know, like getting out the door every day and still showing up and putting the mileage in, even if the workouts per se didn't go exactly how I wanted them to at the time. I knew that if I just kept on doing that, I was going to get fit again. So it may have been fitness or it could have been mental. It could have been a little both. It was just hard to really pinpoint for me. <laughs> so when you're going through those periods, again, this wasn't this long period of time. It was two or three weeks. But I know that when you go through those periods, it feels longer than it actually is chronologically. So when you have those periods, do you view it as something that you kind of look internally to get through or do you lean on either your coach or peers or friends uh, to kind of like get you through those periods and um, get back to that kind of that happy state of, of running? Um, it's more internal. I mean, I will let it out, but not necessarily to a bunch of people. Um, you know, maybe one or two people. And Steve knew some, you know, obviously, um, you know, with him being from Houston, we're not like in communication every day. And I, you know, was telling him at times, uh, you know, hey, like something's not right, the drive's not there. So I was communicating with him, but I kept it within a small little circle, maybe one or two people that, you know, that it was difficult for me. Um, but a lot of it was processing it on my own, like I said, and just self-talk and getting myself out the door. And like I said, I, you know, I trained so hard all the way through New York and I think it was just getting myself, I, I kind of knew setting myself up for what I did in the fall was, might be a hard time to turn around to get ready for the trials, but I didn't think that it would have been the mental part. I thought it would have been more physical, but for some reason for me, it was more mental this time around. And if people haven't listened to your previous episodes, we should say that, you know, you basically went through this period where you had the world championships and a pretty quick turnaround and then New York. And then obviously now we have Atlanta. So you have kind of basically three marathons and six months or so, um, which is not, which is not typical for a lot of people and, and not typical for you either. So yeah, it's, it's certainly obviously not surprising in retrospect that this may have happened, but sometimes when you're in the moment, you can't look at it necessarily with that kind of vision and uh, sometimes that sort of feeling can kind of, you know, man, you know, kind of can kind of sort of, to form like a negative spiral or cycle of some sort. 
Yeah, like I mean, like I said, I live in the moment. I I took like the risks. I followed my heart, and I'm very happy. Like I said, it's just part of the process. And there's always going to be bumps in training, you know, whatever it may be, you know, and sometimes the, you can't have a perfect cycle. So, I'm, um, you know, I'm not, this cycle hasn't been perfect, but I also, like I said, I, I think of Des a lot and think of just keep showing up when it's hard, show up when it's easy, show up. And that's what I've just been doing every day. So, and then listening to my body too, which is key because I have had some aches and pains, but, you know, just taking a day off if I need to compared to not taking a day off has helped too. So, but all in all, I would say the last two weeks have been great. I've hit workouts and no injuries. So, <laughs> oh, that's great. So when you have those aches and pains, what, do, what, what are some of the preferred methods that you take? Because I think there's a lot of ways to approach it. Like you just mentioned before, like you might take a day off. Do you start to like maybe like reduce some mileage? Like, like can you give us a concrete example of something you were feeling and how you approached it? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago I was have I think I slipped on so I ran in some snow and it must have like you know how you slip on the traction you don't have the best traction and it kind of irritated my IT band a little bit but to the point where it was kind of really bothersome in my knee. So after a couple of days of running, I did take off like a Wednesday. I skipped a workout. I know some people would freak out about that, but I decided like if I don't do this and skip a workout and skip this day, it could lead to me not being at the start line. And I was back the next day and, you know, didn't do a workout till that Saturday. But um, so, so for me, something like that, I, I do that or, or, you know, massage, hot tub, sauna, you know, whatever I think I might need if I'm listening to my body, just, but the key is listening to it, you know, and I may have went an extra day without listening, you know, being a little stubborn, like, oh, I'm okay. You know, I got to get the mileage in. And then I was like, okay, I can't do that. So, uh, so for me this time, it was taking a day off. And the whole listening to your body thing, that is one of those issues. That's one of those situations where I feel like you have to have a certain amount of experience to, you know, really put into practice, right? So say someone's like an amateur listening to this, like if they're listening to their body, like what does that mean necessarily? If like they picked up running and listening to their body, like they don't have this built in experience. So for you, was there a time in your life, obviously you've had, um, you took a significant amount of time off from running and then came back to it where like you felt like you were intuitive enough if you kind of like really looked inward where you know, doing so would provide you the right answer where in maybe earlier times in your life where having that sort of introspection wouldn't necessarily provide the answer because you hadn't built up the experiences yet to kind of, you know, have that hard won knowledge. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think or yes, basically over time, it's like, you know, I, I would say over the last like 10 years, I've been able to become more like in tune with my body. And I think it takes... Uh, you know, I think for most people, you have to just, uh, people don't, most runners don't want to stop. We want to keep going, you know, reach new, new limits and reach new highs. And, um, I think, you know, for the most part for me, it's just really saying, Hey, is that worth it? You know, if I, if it's to this point where I'm thinking, eh, this could be an injury. If I keep on letting it linger, you know, take a day off, ice it, you know, and like I said, I'm fortunate enough. I have, I do have like a physical therapist that I can rely on. I can text him and be like, Hey, I'm having this kind of pain. What should I do today? You know? Um, so luckily I, I, I built good friendships with my, uh, you know, colleagues in that sense. So but I think it just took time for me over the years. When I was younger, 18, 19, 20, I didn't pay attention at all. I just ran. <laughs> well, it's nice to have that relationship with your PT. And I think for some people, and I can speak from my own experiences here, is that 
you know, you have that situation where something pops up where you almost like don't want to know what the answer is because you're dreading it. You know what I mean? It's almost like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the same reason people like will be antsy to go to the dentist per se. Like, it's not as if like they go to the dentist and they're worried about like something positive being said. They're like, I don't want to know if I have a cavity, so I don't want to go to the dentist, you know? And I think some people view going to a PT or a Cairo and kind of in that same vein. I can see that. I, and I guess for me, I, and maybe because like you said, like over the years, learning my body and learning some things in, you know, in the science field or maybe body mechanics, like if, like, let's say like my foot starts to hurt or it's both foot pads. I'm like, well, if it's both foot pads, it can't be a stress fracture on both. So I kind of talk myself out of like the really bad diagnoses, <laughs> you know, early on. But I try, like I said, I try to, um, like I said, I know like it, it's, it can be scary coming into something, but I always think that like, I, at least I can tell enough to know that it's something maybe just muscular, musculoskeletal, you know, Hey, it's soreness versus no big injury type of deal. Hopefully. In 2014, Chorus was founded with the desire to make products that are more accurate, reliable, durable, and easier to use than anything on their market, and their GPS watches do just that. Coros features the longest battery life on the market with 25 hours in full GPS mode and on the entry-level pace, an astonishing 60 hours on its top-level Vertex. That's 60 hours. My goodness, I can tell you, my GPS watch, I have one on right now from Coros. This thing lasts forever. I've had it on for a week and I haven't charged it yet. It's absolutely phenomenal. They have developed a great reputation of working with top level athletes in the sports world, trail runners, road runners, climbers, etc. You may have seen even shoot Parker Stinson, who's on my Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, is also a member as well. These athletes trust Coros for their training and they work with them closely to make better products as well. Also, the all-new track mode is a first-of-its-kind for technology and GPS watches, which actually measures your runs correctly while running around a 400-meter track, and you know how much of a pain in the butt that can be if we've you know we've all done track workouts with gps watches and they don't go very well so koros kudos to you go to koros.com that's c-o-r-o-s.com c-o-r-o-s.com to learn more all right so we are roughly three weeks out maybe three and a half weeks out uh from the trials so with that said what kind of shape do you think you are in if you were to run, you know, kind of like a fairly flat course on like a normal day? Can you, are you able to quantify that kind of, that kind of fitness? Right now, I would, I would say a close to 230 shape. I, I really feel that I'm in, I'm, I'm getting there at least, you know, in the low 230s. But I mean, but also we haven't been training that way recently, especially since I went down to Atlanta a couple weekends ago and previewed the course. So, you know, now we're focusing more on rolling, you know, marathon effort type of pace. So, um, but I would say, you know, like the way I felt the last two weeks, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm peaking at the right time. Well, that's obviously that's exactly what you're <laughs> hoping for. Certainly. Yes. And so let, let's talk about your trip down to Atlanta. First things first, when you went down there, did the course meet what you were expecting or was it a little different than what you were planning? Uh, I mean, I heard it was rolling and hilly. I just didn't know what to expect, honestly. Um, so I guess it, I guess I would say it's 
it's, it's hillier than what I thought. Yes. I thought there might be some areas of some flat. And it's really just kind of up and down and rolling most of the way. I don't know if you've been on it at all or heard anything. But uh, um, so I was I put in a lot of miles over the week that weekend just to, between biking and running it um, just to kind of get my uh, head wrapped around it a little bit more. <laughs> I think a lot of people have seen kind of the topographical race course chart which has kind of been going around on social media and different articles over the past two weeks which has been very helpful but anyone who's ever run a run a race knows that looking at those charts and actually doing it are two very different things which is why going down to the race course is so important right I mean, you could have seen those charts yourself but you still went down there to preview it for, for for this exact reason so when you went down there what were the like, when you just when you think about the kinds of hilliness, you know, in rolling hills? What would you say about like the steepness and length of the hills and downhills and and and, and things of that nature? Yeah, I mean, steepness wise, I wouldn't say there's too much steep. I mean, there is one on the eight mile loop. There is one pretty. Let's say it's a steeper hill, but it's going to be a grinding hill, um, and you got to do it three times. Um, so I would say for the most part, it's um, just consistently kind of up and down. When you're going out the first three miles on Peachtree, it's a lot of downhill. And then you come back up all of it. <laughs> and so when I first started running the course, I was talking with the, the Atlantic Track Club guy that was out with me. And I was like, oh, I was thinking to myself, this isn't too bad. And then we started the workout as we turned around. And it was three miles basically grinding uphill, <laughs> what it felt like uphill. And I was like, oh, this is tough. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, nothing super steep. It's just compl- like, a, as I would say, rolling for the most part. Um, it just doesn't seem to ever be a flat area, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what stood out to most people when they looked at the topographical map. It's like, okay, I can't tell exactly how these hills would feel without running them, but I do know this. There's nothing flat on this thing, and that's obviously going to be a big deal for every single runner in the field. Yeah, and I think like this, the flattest part is literally the last half mile. <laughs> when you nice get up them. to the Georgia Dome <laughs> and st- the Georgia Dome and State Farm it's kind of like flat and so like you go downhill into the Centennial Park but no it was um yeah I think it was very important to go out there and view it and run it and uh I also did some my we did some GoPro so I have some video just to have you know oh. if I can visualize it more yeah so um so that'll be good I've been you know checking it out when I have free time just to kind of uh keep remembering what it's like <laughs> you get like a vr headset then like run the treadmill as if like you're like literally on the course <laughs> yeah that would be a good one um but i, I think the last 2.2 um you know that that would be there's a little bit of a challenging uh two little bumps once you turn on to piedmont and uh so i think that'll be interesting but again it's the last 2.2 but as i said I, it, the course was definitely more challenging than i guess i thought it was going to be so all right. So with that in mind, what kind of what kind of athlete, what kind of runner do you think this course benefits? Um, you know, you don't have to say names, but like obviously like there are certain people that 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 that, that are well served for for different kinds of courses. And what does what course does this benefit? I mean, it's going to be someone that can grind it out. That's not afraid. I, I don't know. This it's not going to be a fast time, correct? I mean, it's gonna it's gonna come down. It's all never going to be a fast time on an Olympic trials generally, anyways. But I think it's going to be a strategic 
race. It's going to go down to someone that can grind out the hills. But I also feel like it's going to come down to who has enough speed at the very end. Because <laughs> I think it's going to be a group. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. Like, it, it's a it's a tactical course and it's a grinding course. So I think it evens out the playing field a little bit. Oh, okay. Got it. So, 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 so obviously you have certain folks, right? Like I'm, I'm not going to name names here cause that wouldn't be fair, but there are certain people in the field who have run great times, but haven't run a ton of marathons. Right. And there are other people in the field who have also run very high quality times, but have run, you know, six to 10 marathons. And, and do you think having, that sort of like lifetime, as Jared Ward would say, that lifetime fitness in your legs, that that would kind of benefit you with this kind of course? I think so. And I think it's for how you train. And obviously most of the pros, I think, train at out, they all train at altitude and I'm sure they're getting an elevation. But, you know, I think uh, training on the certain types of elevation, getting elevation gain every week is, is going to be key too. You know, um, it's something that I focused on most of this training cycle. Every week I get anywhere from three to 5,000 feet elevation gain. So... I don't know. I'm hoping that helps a little, you know, <laughs> get your, your body used to it. So, um, and for you, when you, when you train like that and prepare for a race like this, are you more like just, just your own personal positives and negatives as a runner compared to your peers? Are you better going uphill or downhill? Uphill. Okay. So, so how do you prepare yourself to kind of Obviously, you want to accentuate the positive, but at the same time, improve things that you might not be great at. Yeah, no, I mean, so I've been going into Central Park and um, just kind of like maintaining that my marathon pace effort up the hill and then focusing on opening it up, going down, you know, just trying to like learn how to accelerate a little bit more, you know, but not because um, always for me going downhill is always a little bit tricky thinking could I hurt something I don't know why <laughs> but um, but I, I feel like I'm better at going keeping my pace up the hill and then obviously um, I was always I always remember my coach in college he was like now you go over the hill and you keep going <laughs> and so I try to remember that you know how we tend to get up the hill and then we kind of slow down a little bit because like oh we made it to the top so I always put his head put his, his um him telling me in my head like go keep going faster so I, I try to remember that uh but um no I don't like I said I, I think you know this course will be you know I think it'll just keep an even playing field for, I, I believe you know and I think someone with experience I think it, it'll be helpful too you know And when you picture this race in your mind, do you envision somebody breaking away or trying to break away? I shouldn't say somebody or maybe maybe be a group of people trying to break away on an uphill section. Or can you see someone really trying to really push it on a downhill? Or are you kind of seeing both possible scenarios? I, I don't know. I, I don't I, I, I think it would be. I think it would be on a downhill going into an uphill. Yeah, like I think a downhill. But again, I don't know. I, I have different scenarios playing out in my head. Like where do I think it – like how long will it be the third loop? Will it be the last 2.2 miles? Um, just because I think this course is challenging enough that I don't know when someone's going to be bold enough to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like quit sooner because I think – this course can be challenging enough that it can, it can eat, you know, I want to eat somebody alive, but you know what I mean? Like, I think it's, 
1,400 feet climbing in a marathon is pretty significant. So it's going to be, you know, when do you decide to move? And do you have certain runners in the field that you can either have done in the past or can see yourself keying off of because either their running style is similar to yours or because you think that when they make a move, it's always significant and you want to make sure that you're aware of it? Yeah. Um, I don't know. This is going to be new to me. Honestly, this, um, this is more of a tactical race. And I mean, I'm very good at strategically, like at worlds knowing it was going to be hot and what to do. Um, but I think for something like this, I was just asked recently, like, do you go with leaders or do you stay back and pick your way up? And I've always been more of the stay back and, and fight, you know, pick, pick off people. But I think there's something with having to kind of stay close by that front group you know so I think I do know you know I know a lot of the runners that are similar style to me that I think we'll be in a group but it's trying to not stay you know either it's all big group where there's all the front runners too or there's a little separation but for me it's going to be never to let that go too far you know I'm so excited by this race like it reminds me of like when I used to watch like the Tour de France like (laughs) you know when I used to get into like 15 20 years ago like you watch these mountain stages and like, it was always so exciting, like who would go and the Hills played such a part. And, you know, like it wasn't just about the athletes. It was about the course itself plays such a factor. And so often when you go to, you watch these, you know, say a world marathon major, you know, they're all very different, but usually the course itself doesn't pose some sort of strategic threat to a lot of people, especially in the, in the front. Whereas this one, it certainly does. How do you prepare yourself? We talked all this stuff physically. How do you prepare yourself mentally for any race, but most specifically like this race? And what are you doing to make sure that you're in the best possible frame of mind and and ready for action? Yeah, I think for me, a lot of it is, I know it's crazy. Like I visualize the race itself and how I want it to play out or what I would like to happen. But for me and who I am personally, I I don't, um, what's the word? I don't stress too much. So that makes sense. Like I just try to keep very open. I mean, I'm a competitor. I'm aggressive. I love to race, but I also keep my life. I don't and This could be just because of my life balance too. I'm so busy with other things that I, I just kind of keep going with it. I don't necessarily always have it on the, the front burner. Does that make sense? So I mm-hmm. think for me, sometimes it, I, I come off very, it just like I show up to the line and I'm like, okay, let's go. You know? And like, I don't want to stress too much about it. I just want it to kind of come naturally, if that makes sense. I don't know. It's just who I am. I'm, I don't get, I, I, I'm sure I'll be nervous and don't get me wrong. I've been nervous for races, but not to the point where I'm going to get sick on the start line. I just kind of am very welcoming to every opportunity I have too. So I just stepped to the line thinking, like I always said, uh, just success is knowing that you've done your best You know, I've done my best to this point and I show up to the start line, the best version of me. And that's how I prepare myself. So who are you going down to Atlanta with? Oh boy. So my kids um, are coming with me, obviously. And then my parents and my, let's see, I have two, two siblings and their families coming. Um, My girlfriends, I have a couple of people from New Jersey, my boyfriend. (laughs) So I have a crew coming down. So I don't, I haven't counted how many exactly. I would say close to 20 people, if not a little bit more, you know, you know, uh, coming to cheer me on. So it'll be a fun, fun weekend. So. Holy cow. That's great. So are you one of those people who 
kind of like receives energy from a group and you revel in that? Or do you kind of need your alone time so people don't suck energy from you? Uh, so I will keep kind of quiet um, leading up to it. Does that make sense? So like my, my kids will stay with my parents um, in their suite and I have my own room. Um, I keep it kind of low key the day, two days beforehand. So um, it's not that I won't go out with my family, but I definitely like to just keep it simple. And that's just like, I don't make a lot of plans. I just do me, you know, keep focused. So, um, and it's kind of different because I usually don't have, I mean, besides like New York with all my friends, like, you know, I live out here. I don't have a lot of people that usually come to races. So this is new to me. <laughs> so it's I don't so want funny to because like you, because <laughs> you race so close to home so often. It's funny that they like, you need a race in Atlanta for people to go to. I know. Well, home, you know, but my pa- my parents are from, my siblings are all from the Pittsburgh area. So New York isn't oh, really okay. home to them. So it's a little bit of a drive. So, um, but yes, I know, but uh, they've been planning this for a, a year now. So <laughs> um, that's fantastic. No, it'll be great. I mean, obviously I'm excited for them to all be there cheering me on, but I think leading up to the race itself, when we're down to the first two days, I'll keep myself pretty kind of quiet, you know, and reserved. All right. Last question, because I know everyone can relate to this, and especially since you won't be at home. So you'll have to figure this out when you're down there. Maybe you already have. What's going to be the pre-race meal the night before the Olympic trials? Oh, it's always something pretty simple. I don't I haven't thought about it yet, but it's usually, I mean, most people like to go to Italian, but for me, it's just like basic, you know, I, I eat very basic foods leading up bagels, white rice, pasta, <laughs> lean protein. So, um, whatever I would go, I'll just find something that's the most simplest on the menu. I don't, you know, uh, it could be just like a light pasta with a little bit of chicken or something. So, or salmon, but I don't, I don't freak out about it either. So, but like I said, I usually just figure something light. So. Okay. Other end of the spectrum. The next night, Mm -hmm. what are you going to be doing post-trials? Obviously, you know, like you never know how it's going to happen, but it's a milestone either way. So what what does post-trials look like? I mean, like the right afterwards or that same day, that night. Well, I did. I I think I read something funny. It's, uh, you know how they have like National Donut Day, National This Day. I think February 29th was something like National Cork uh, it's like it's like not wine day, but something like cork like you know, uncork a bottle day. And I was like, how perfect because I love wine. So this is like an omen. Like it's <laughs> so <laughs> um I you know, uh I will definitely we went we were just down there recently. We found some fantastic restaurants. So uh we're probably gonna go to the one restaurant we went to and have some amazing meal. Um but I love all food, so I don't really care. Like I don't really think about it too much, but definitely a glass of wine or two. Um Maybe some French fries because that's something I don't usually eat very often. But I could crave. I've been craving them lately. <laughs> I love it. I love the. I love the French fry wine combo. That is like <laughs> that's hysterical. It's not exactly the pairing you would normally hear, but I'm all for it because you know what? After especially after a race, like you crave that salty food, but you also crave again if you're if you're into it. You know, you you also crave that you know a nice drink as well. So I I can see that going down, but that's totally like a post marathon type feel to that food choice. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So um, but that's the plan. So no, it'll be fun uh, with family and friends uh, hanging out after the race. So for sure. That is fantastic. Roberta, I can't wait to see you down there. Best of luck to you. And I can't wait to reconnect with you after the trials. Oh, great. Thanks, Matt. 
Roberta, thank you so much for coming on the show. My goodness, every time I get to talk to Roberta Groner, I feel like I am greater and better for it. There's no question in my mind. Hopefully, you feel the same way because she is not only doing amazing things, she's just so much fun and enjoyable to talk to and to listen to. So thank you so much to all of our sponsors today, Inside Tracker, VDOT, and Koros. Again, like all of my sponsors, and I say this every week on both of my podcasts, they wouldn't be sponsoring this podcast if I didn't believe in them and use them, and I do wholeheartedly with all three of these companies. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. I couldn't be more appreciative of that. So I hope you have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Never